Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. Welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. And we are back in this episode with Dr. TJ Bradford, the lead precision egg instructor in the Department of Plant Soil Sciences at Mississippi State University. Welcome back. Thank you, glad to be back. Yes, if you didn't catch the first episode with Dr. Bradford, please go back and listen to it. It details his early career as well as his farming background. So check that one out because it really sets the stage for what we're going to discuss today, which is your transition for your PhD into human sciences. Yes, the transition. Yeah. And you kind of let us in in the last episode for like the pivotal moment of coming back to school but not necessarily the change in discipline. So let's start there. I am really curious to see how you decided to kind of change directions in some senses. I mean, it weaves together here at the end. We'll get to that yeah. part. <laughs> so I, um, so having a bachelor's and master's in agronomy was, it's kind of like a dream for me. Like I said, growing up on a farm and I'm I'm really just a plant nerd is what I really am. And so I just, I love plants. I love farming. So I'm just a, I'm a plant nerd. And I realized that I wanted to share my passion and love for plants to everybody. And I wanted to, I didn't think I wanted to teach, but I felt like I needed to be in the form of a teacher almost. And I had enough bad college professors to realize that I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be the professor that everybody thinks of when they say, man, this guy was horrible or man, this person was awful. And I wanted to be the one that, um, that inspired people because I had my fair share of bad college professors, but I also had my fair share of amazing college professors. One that ones that I invited to my wedding ones that were, um, you know, right there at the birth of my children. So I wanted to be that professor. And I felt that it was very important that if I was going to be that, that I needed to learn how to teach. And so my transition to human sciences was kind of the best of both worlds because you didn't stray away from the agriculture part and you kind of stuck with the uh, ag and extension ed concentration but you also focus more on the people perspective of how to teach and what's effective in teaching and, you know, leadership and volunteers and development, which I think personally makes me a better teacher, so to speak, because it's like, okay, well, I have the, I have the experience in farming. I have the, you know, the knowledge, you know, the bachelor's and master's in agronomy. So would this piece of the puzzle make me more, effective and I think that it I think that it did um, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to pursue a doctorate over there um, in human sciences and in Dorman Hall where I am now we call it across the street and so uh, I've been across the street and back a couple times so um, I felt like for me that if I wanted to be a good teacher and effective teacher that I needed to know how to teach because again my mom and dad were both teachers and for me it just kind of I kind of saw their interaction with their students and kind of how much they cared 
and how even though they were teachers, they were more than just teachers. And so I really, I really wanted that. And um, the School of Human Sciences, they were absolutely phenomenal. I mean, it took my brain as a uh, the hard sciences part, it took my brain a kind of a while to adjust. But once it did, um, it was, it was amazing. So that's kind of how I got it's kind of how I, I got across the street, so to say. And it was a, it was even a weird story getting across the street. So I feel like I have weird stories about everything. Um, after I finished my master's, I was getting my thesis signed. You know, we had to send it to the, send it over to boss to get signed. And the associate dean at the time, Dr. Taylor, um, he was, uh, had to sign my signature page. And so they requested a, uh, a copy of my thesis. And so... I got a call and said, hey, your signature page is ready. So I went to pick it up and I went over there and I got it. And he said, hey, he said, I, I read your, your thesis and it was pretty good. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I didn't actually think that y'all read them. So I'm like, that's impressive. And he said, did your dad teach in Greenville, Mississippi? And I was like, does he owe you any money? And <laughs> he was like, no. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's my dad. And so found out that he knew my dad from actually Dr. Taylor was a student teacher at my dad's high school in Belzona. And so I was, I was like, wow, such a small world. He said, have you ever thought about teaching, uh, you know, being a faculty member? And I said, nope, I'm going to Florida. I'm going <laughs> back to the NRCS. And he said, you should, you should think about it. And I was like, well, I don't know. And he was like, we, had, we may have a, an assistantship available. And I'm thinking, okay, now I'm, now my ears are, now I'm listening. And he started telling me about the program. I'd never heard of a PhD in um, ag sciences with a concentration in ag and extension ed, never heard of it. He started telling me about it. And I was like, this is kind of, I think I can do this. Like, I think if this is what I want to do is teach in some aspect, I think this is, be the way to do it. And after that moment, things started happening so fast. The next thing I knew, I'm enrolled in a PhD program and and there I am across the street. And so it was it was really cool for it to happen that way. And I'm so fortunate to be able to um, have great professors in that department and to for them to taught such a uh, an amazing curriculum that I think is I think it embodies who I am today. So uh, it was it was great. It was awesome. There were so many important things you just you just noted throughout that. Um, one of them specifically, you know, the the general person, the average person. I wonder if I can even word this the way I want to. Like we're all learners, right? That's just mm -hmm. the human nature to learn. And I remember too one of the first instances of my undergraduate where I was asked to teach on a subject, and remember thinking I man, I just really learn the best when I teach. And it, it's, it's so insightful to the learner who always just mm -hmm. expects to be receiving information and being able to apply it. And yet the science of teaching is right. a whole huge and deep field itself. And so it's almost, it's almost a disservice to the learner to not know about the field of teaching, about how we approach giving people information. Right, right. And I think, um, and that's one of the things that I had no idea of when I first stepped into that realm was, because initially I thought teaching, I'm like, anybody can teach. Anybody with a mouth can teach. But 
that is such a that does such a disservice to teachers i mean in any aspect and so um because again teaching is so much more than just disseminating information i mean anybody can disseminate information but when you focus on the learner and how they their learning style as opposed to your teaching style or in conjunction with your teaching style i think that just makes you such an effective teacher and i think the learners draw to that because if I have a classroom full of 30 students, well, guess what? All 30 of them do not learn the same way. Um, so, and one thing that I had to learn is that my teaching style fits the way that I like to learn. And these students, they may not like to learn the way that I like to learn. So, you know, having, you know, um, uh, various approaches and, you know, uh, differentiating that instruction is so key and, you know, being clear and, you know, uh, all these things that, that we don't think of that is happening when you teach is happening. And so for me at first, it was a challenge. It was a struggle because I was thinking, okay, I started as a scientist and scientists, I'm putting it on paper. You got to go get it. <laughs> but teaching is a little bit different It's saying, okay, it's on the paper. Let me process it and let me put it in a form that's digestible for everybody. And I let me do that in 20 different ways if I have to. So for me, teaching is almost like a, you know, it's, it's almost like an art that, you know, it's almost like golf teaching. Just is, like golf. Good, just, good segue. It's just like golf. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like an art form where everything is different, where one approach one day is not the same approach the next day. And you have to be open to that. And so it's like I've, I've walked into a classroom where it was like this worked this semester and then the next semester it fell flat it did not work and I did the exact same things and I come home I go back to the office I'm like what in the world just happened like wh what <laughs> what happened and so um, but I think that's the beauty of teaching uh, I think the beauty that's the beauty of teaching that's the beauty of engaging learners and I think that's the beauty of being an effective teacher so I'm very passionate about teaching yeah, and it like we really can't understate how important, as you mentioned, those different approaches to teaching are. And particularly now with 2020 and COVID, we are just having a moment, not only for teachers, but communicating science clearly yeah. and accurately. Um, and so that even leads in that there is substantial research that there are certain teaching methods that are more effective, more effective for youth learning, for adult learners, and kind of across the spectrum. One of those is experiential learning, actually mm -hmm. having the experience uh, as a way to learn about information. And that just so happens to be what you did your dissertation on. Yes, it was. Um, that is a great segue. Like, I don't know how you do that, but it's that's just... That's a lot of things skill. happening up here all at once. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I think you're going one way and then you go this way. And I'm like, that's, that was a seamless transition. <laughs> um, so yeah, so experiential learning is, uh, it was a foundation from, you know, John Dewey that, you know, all learning is based on some experience. And the goal of the teacher is to provide relevant experiences to the learner. And for me, as a constructivist in nature, by teaching is that I have knowledge, I have knowledge about a lot of things and certain things, but just because I have that knowledge does not mean that the students 
are going to obtain that knowledge and that they will actually learn it just because I have it. And so to the form of you know, information dissemination, I have to provide them with scenarios, situations, opportunities that they can actually grab it. And so, you know, you start off with an experience and then you reflect on that experience and then you form some abstract conceptualization and then you apply it again. Well, again, that happens differently for so many students and it happens different ways. And so the only thing that I'm in control of, of as, a, as a teacher is guiding their thinking to think critically about different situations. And so it's not a sense of teaching them some information and have them regurgitated on an exam, which has its place in learning, absolutely. Um, but for me personally, when it comes to learning, it's, it's my granddad had this saying, he says, bought sense is better than taught sense. And for 30 years, I had no idea what that meant, uh, no idea what that meant until, you know, my mom actually sat me down and she said, you know, bought sense better than taught sense. I'm like, what, the, what does that mean? And she says, if you buy it or you experience it for yourself, sometimes it's a lot more valuable than if someone else gives it to you. And I'm thinking, wow, that made a whole lot of sense. And it also, it relates it back to me for experiential learning that if someone else experiences it for themselves and they come up with their own conclusions, then the learning is kind of like a, it's kind of like a disorienting experience almost. And it's like, wow, I just experienced that. I learned something from it. And guess what? I can, you know, proceed further and do all types of stuff just because I learned it from this way. And so as a, as a teacher, it's a little challenging because, you know, every, all of your experiences and experiences from other places may not connect with the wide range. But I also think that is one of the more, um, the, the better parts of it is because there's always some experience that connects with somebody. There's, there's even, it, it may be robust, it may not be robust, but there's always some type of experience that people um, have in common. And I think that that is, that is so great just from an experiential learning tool um, because you, you never know what experiences will line up. Um, you know, never know what experiences will resonate with someone. And so I think that just, it, it provides, a, uh, provides a richer learning experience. And so um, a lot of the hands-on activities, a lot of the hands-on things, a lot of the you know, um, outdoor labs, things of that nature. I think it provides such a rich experience. And yeah, so uh, my dissertation research, because experiential learning is so, so dynamic that what I decided to do was I decided to take a small, simple ad curriculum, um, seven lessons, and I compared two different groups. I compared a group with direct instruction where I just taught them um, those seven ag lessons face-to-face -face, classroom style the other group I actually built them a high tunnel and they're they're me there I go building stuff again so I built them a high tunnel and I did all of those lessons out in the high tunnel and so it was more of a kind of uh, you know touchy-feely type of thing when it comes to fertilizers and soils and all that and they really liked it and it was so interesting because once we started doing the focus groups and gathering some of that data and that information, the direct instruction group, I asked them, I said, hey, what was your least favorite lesson? And they said, soils, it was boring, it was awful. 
and the experiential learner group, I said, hey, what was your most favorite? They said, soils. It was the most fun that we've ever had in a classroom setting ever. And so it just goes to show that experiential learning, I'm not saying it's better than direct instruction because I think that there's a place for both of them. But experiential learning, when it came to this concept, uh, soils and ag, students, they were able to conceptualize it a little bit more. And all we did was all we, we dug holes. We took a soil probe and we dug holes and we classified the soil, essentially. And they were so enamored with just soil colors and soil textures and you know, horizons that they were, that they were blown away. And they generally, I think they really, really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, that's interesting that it was soils too. Cause I know just from advising undergraduates in our department who are primarily wildlife fisheries and aquaculture oriented, um, they still have to take soils as a required class. And a lot of them later on are like, I don't know why we had to take that. It's such a hard course. And uh, me having a little more experience in the field, I'm like, soils is so important. This is like right. one of the foundational classes that you got to have. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it is really interesting the way that the experiential learning cohort was just able to take more from it. Um, were there any other particular lessons that you engaged them in, like the soils aspect of it? I guess you were probably talking about the whole growing system. Yeah, so we talked about different aspects of, you know, the food and fiber production system, um, kind of where food comes from. And there was also a section on uh, conservation and using resources efficiently when it comes to um, um, herbicides, pesticides, you know, things of that nature, fertilizers. And I think they, they and at the end of the course, or the end of the, um, the lessons, they had to come together and do like a, almost like a debate about certain topics in the ag arena. And they chose to do the topic of the experiential learning group chose to do the topic of, Hey, we need to conserve and we, we need to be uh, more mindful and steward, uh, steward the environment. And they genuinely, because I don't think things like that, that you can fake often when it comes to debates, just as far as in the classroom setting, and they were really passionate about it. And it surprised me because I was thinking, hey, this didn't for great for you all. Like, this is just a, just a discussion. And so they were, it was so funny because there was a side that was pro-conservation stewardship and their other side was kind of um, not necessarily for it, but they ended up saying things for it, for conservation stewardship. And I was like, hey, this is awesome. This is great. So I just think that with those lessons in particular, um, just kind of how, where the food comes from, kind of, kind of stuck with them because at a few of them, it's interesting now, some of them are now in college and they tell, I run into them and they say, Hey, you know, when I go into the grocery store now, I look and see where my food comes from. It's just a habit. Like I just look and see which state it comes from. And I'm like, Hey, there you go. <laughs> Too many choices at the grocery store when it comes to like, how was this produced? Where was it produced? What's in it? You know, <laughs> it, it is, it's so it's so much out there. But it's just I tell people, I say, hey, just go with your gut. Just go with it. You know, don't don't sit in Kroger and think about I wonder who produced this and all this. I just just go with your gut. <laughs> Yeah, I first became familiar with experiential learning um, through some of our work in extension uh, because it's it's kind of the 
the most prominent form of teaching for adult audiences, right? Because as adults, we don't really want someone to just talk to us and sometimes yeah. accidentally talk down to us, right, you know? Right. Um, we actually want to experience what's happening, learn by doing. Uh, and then as I got more involved in 4-H, as it turns out, it's kind of one of the pillars of 4-H education mm -hmm. as well. So it seems to work pretty effectively with audiences of all ages. Um, did you have any challenges designing the experiment? It just because creating that experience is the hardest part. Like we say it like, oh, experiential learning, it works for all audiences, but creating that experience as the educator is what I guess I struggle with the most. I don't know if I do it well yet. You know, for me, the challenging part is, is trying to wrap or put them in situations or present them with experiences. And some of these experiences comes from, you know, multiple, multiple perspectives, someone outside the, the discipline or something like that. But um, I always, the challenging part for me is to, will these experiences stick or will they resonate the way that I want them to resonate? Um, and there's really no, no kind of way to tell or gauge if it does. Um, you just kind of, you just kind of have to trust the process. And for me, um, like what I do is, let's just say I, I take them out into the field and, you know, we start looking at landscape positions and start, start classifying lands. The, I this I just, I dread looking around, seeing a blank stare and I'm just like, oh my gosh, did I completely miss it? Or am I sounding like, you know, the Charlie Brown teacher, the wah, 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 wah. And so... I'm like, did I, did I miss it? Are they getting it? Am I making sense? And so for me, that's kind of the challenge is to provide relevant experiences because, you know, we can, we can provide experiences, but all of them may not be, you know, relevant. And so uh, I've had some hits and I've had some misses, but I just think you just, you just got to keep going, <laughs> you know, just keep going. Yeah. I feel like in the, in the kind of front end preparation process as a teacher too we're so used to structure mm -hmm. and syllabi and that there are elements of that that are you know so important for mm -hmm. ensuring learning objectives that you're meeting learning objectives mm -hmm. but sometimes to create that experience it just takes a little bit more creativity and a kind of a different mindset to set it up too yeah and, and it it's not it's one of those things where I spend a lot of time trying to do so when it when it comes to just a regular course of mine, I probably spend about uh, 12 to 14 hours a week just planning. And, you know, as time goes on, it gets a little bit easier to plan. It doesn't take as much time, but I spend about that, am that amount of time planning for a two-hour course during the week. Um, but it's worth it because you, I won't say you have to check all your boxes, but you really put time and energy into making sure that it connects with the learner because you know that's 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 what we're here for is to make sure this information can go to the learner in a way that they can digest it and use it you know in various ways so um but i just i think that with you know with experiential learning specifically you know it it's more of guiding than it is learning almost and so we just kind of guide them to a certain point and then we just say, hey, go fly, you know? That's a good way to, that's a good way to look at it.
How about the high tunnels? Random question. Uh-huh. Do y'all have high tunnels on the farm then? Also? No, no. Okay. We we um it so so it started. It's a long story. So we it. <laughs> so when my dad was teaching high school ag, there was not a uh, there was a greenhouse program, but there was nobody around to build the greenhouse, and I think they eventually got a company to to build them and. Um, my dad was like, I can do this. I can do this. And so started building greenhouses all over the state of Mississippi. And um, we have started a frame for hours, but we, it's, we hadn't even finished it because we just get so busy and it's just the frame has been there and we have materials. We just, we are so busy doing other things that we haven't even had time to finish our own yet. Together. Right. Yeah, I was just curious because, um, yeah, we hadn't talked about that in the earlier episode, so I was just hoping I did not miss it. Um, okay, this isn't the end of your journey in conservation and ag arenas. And in the next episode, we're definitely going to be transitioning to Precision Egg, which is your primary position now. Yes. Um, before we do one last question to wrap us up here today, you know, now that you're, now that you know more about experiential learning in terms of uh, just your, your teaching approach, uh, has that changed across the board then in terms of all your courses? Is that something you utilize in all your courses? Um, and dare I say parenting? I, um, I think it's, it's situational because there are a lot of things that, um, that are learned best through experience. And I feel like there are some things that are learned best through direct instruction. And I really think it just depends on, on the group. So for my, for my classes specifically, I always have my students do an autobiography. And I say, hey, give me a quick five to seven sentences. Tell me about yourself, a little bit of background about you. Um, you know, what do you, why do you take this course? What do you want to learn? kind of, you know, what made you, you know, kind of tell me a little bit about who you are and why you are the way you are. And they think it's just a quick autobiography of, of an assignment. But really what I try to do is I try to gauge in that short paragraph kind of what they hope to do. And I put on there, hey, tell me your dream job. And their dream job, I feel like, is very similar to their, their learning style. So let's just say I have a student that says, hey, I want to be a seed salesman. Okay, well, guess what? I feel that their learning style is more direct instruction, information. Um, let me show some areas where this is beneficial. And so it's, it's a heavily, you know, face-to-face kind of approach. But students that say, hey, I want to be a traveling such and such, or I want to do this, you know, it's sometimes experiential learning is more suited based on their personality, based on the learner. And so I try to, I kind of try to gauge, you know, where, where these things fit um, for the class. And again, it's, it's different from, from class to class. I think about growing up, how I was not the experiential learning type of kid. So I enjoyed experiential learning, but my older brother was the one that would try a lot of stuff. I was not the, the daredevil. I would sit back and watch him try some stuff and then I'd take notes. Okay, he jumped off of the combine and he hurt his leg. I'm not going to do that. And so funny story with that, he fell out of a tree one time. We were racing out of a tree and 
I was probably 40 feet in the air. He was maybe 70 feet in the air. It was, it was a huge tree. We had no business being up there. And we were like, let's race down. And we started racing, we started racing. He falls out of the tree, bam, hits the ground. And so at that point on, I was, I was like, you know what? Maybe it's not the best that we climb trees and race down. But him, he just he kept doing it. I mean, a couple broken ribs, but after he healed up, he was right back in the tree again. So I'm like, hey, go for it. I stay out of trees now. <laughs> there's something, there's something pulling me towards the survival of the fittest there. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe that's not his best survival strategy. No, definitely not. But yeah, when you have siblings like that. There's, there's always like, it seems to be one that's the risk taker and several others that are like, we're going to learn from that. I feel like right. I don't have to experience that on my own. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. All right. So Precision Egg is going to be a little bit of a turn for us, but it's going to be great. So we'll catch y'all in the next episode as we dive into some of the evolution of Precision Egg and, and how you use it in the classroom now. Thank you. Thank you. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.